Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Intercooler Podcast. Hi everyone, welcome to episode 138 of the Intercooler Podcast with me, Dan Prosser, and my co-host, Andrew Frankel. This week we're talking about fast golfs. I've been driving a few recently, I own one now, um, but it's a good topic because there are getting on for 50 years of cars to talk about under the fast golf umbrella. Um, there's some brilliant cars in there, some terrible ones as well. Um, I think we cover the whole spectrum. Enjoy. First things first, Andrew, we just need to remind everybody that you can now give a subscription to the Intercooler as a gift uh, in plenty of time for Christmas. Many of you have been doing so. So thanks to everybody who's bought a gift subscription so far. Um, We want to sell many, many more. So why is it a good gift? It's a fantastic, it's the best gift in the world. Well, I don't, I don't, oh no, hang on, hang on, wait till you hear what I have to say. It's the best gift in the world to give. Whether it's the best gift in the world to receive is, I think, a matter for oh, okay. individual too. But as a thing to give, it is so easy to do. And if it works, just do it every year. And then that's one person you don't have to think about. And we're all this time of year sitting so thinking, oh God, we've got to get presents for this, that and the other. And if you've got a petrol head in your life, um, family, friend, whatever, um, just bung him or her a sub to ti um see how they get on with it and if they enjoy it and say yeah that's really really cool uh and it's also you know it's something which every single day it's not like a pair of socks or you know whatever you know something you sort of see once and never see again stick in the drawer and they're gone you know, every single day they will be grateful to you hopefully if we do our job properly um for that sub um it's the gift that keeps on giving <laughs> oh there it is yeah. uh you can give three six or 12 month subscriptions there's a 10 percent discount on the standard price if you give 12 um they don't they don't auto renew unlike a standard subscription they are activated when the voucher is redeemed not when you buy them that's an important point um we will automatically send you a digital gift voucher for you to share with your loved one and automatically is a key point as well isn't it because if you manage to leave it to christmas eve 
um, before starting your Christmas shopping. The good news is... As we all do. As we all do. Isn't that what everybody does? We will send you a, a gift voucher immediately. Well, I I did I did once I did once leave my Christmas shopping to Christmas Eve, um, did the and I found one day. I, and I found myself in a shopping mall, stressed and panicking. And the thing is, my birthday's Christmas Eve. Of course, it is. So what a way to spend your birthday. <laughs> that was I don't know what I was thinking, uh, so I won't make that mistake again. But anyway, if you do make that mistake, like I've done. We'll send you a digital digital gift voucher immediately, so it's right yeah. there with you, and you can pass it on. And, and if they go, "What's this?" Just tell them that there are already up there on the app and on the website over a thousand stories, over a million words, written by what we genuinely be, believe to be the best team of motoring writers in the world, be they journalists or engineers or designers. Um, you know, if if you don't subscribe to the app. Um, just go and have all, all the website. Go and have a look. Go and see who is working for us. Just the caliber of the journalism that we're able to command here. Um, and, and, and they get that every day. Every day we publish something new, bespoke, not recycled. Um, and yeah, well, we think it's really good. Hopefully you will too. Um, so the-intercooler.com. We sell gifts through the website, the-intercooler.com. So before we move on to fast golfs, which is what we're really talking about this week, I just want to say thank you to everybody who's responded and engaged with us um, about the last couple of podcasts that we've done. So what did we do? Driving standards and driving etiquette. And And then last week, Jaguar, the future of Jaguar. And I know when we've recorded uh, and published an episode that resonates because we just get tweets, we get comments on Instagram, messages on Instagram, get emails. You just have this sense that people have listened and want to respond and those two episodes in particular got a great response so thanks everybody for listening and thank you in particular for engaging with us um i'm a little apprehensive about this topic because the vw golf is one of those cars that has a almost fanatical following there are people out there who know these cars inside out yeah probably more than we do Oh, definitely. And, and definitely. some of them will be listening, thinking, no, that year's wrong. No, that horsepower yeah, yeah, is yeah, wrong. Yeah, yeah. But that's fine, isn't it? Because, you know, these days in this modern world, um, even when people go to buy cars, they usually know more about the car they want to buy than the person trying to sell it to them. Because True. the person trying to sell it to them needs to know about every single car they're selling. Whereas the person who wants to buy the car knows only about that car. And if you are a massive golf, hot golf devotee... Um, you know, that might be your specific area of, of, of passion and knowledge and understanding. Um, and we've got, to kind of, we've got to kind of do everything, haven't we? We, we yeah. need to. Um, so, um, yeah, so please forgive us if we get the odd date wrong or the odd horsepower figure wrong or whatever. But hopefully the general thrust of it, I mean, I don't really have an excuse because I've been around for most of the history of the hot golf. So, um, yeah, hopefully we'll... Um, but it is, you know, it's it's something because, you know, we're not just going to talk about the nice ones, are we? We're going to talk about the disappointing no. ones and, yeah, you know, um, and we will doubtless, as we have in the past, ruffle some feathers. But, um, you know, there's no point just coming on here and blindly praising, praising everything, no. is there? No, and also, I suppose what this is, it's the perspective of two guys who get to drive everything, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah. Particularly you, um, and and so it's how do how do a couple of car journalists who have tested all the significant performance cars, um, certainly of recent years in my case, how do we view the hot golf, all the different hot golfs? 
Um, so hopefully that's what makes it worth your time. Now, we also mentioned on a recent episode that the 1976 Mark I Golf GTI, in fact, was not the first hot hatch. Um, we don't need to get into that now, but it did do something, though, didn't it? It did do something. Did it make the hot hatch mainstream, or did it make the hot hatch really desirable, or did it nail that formula more than anything else before? Or is yeah, it just all, because it's had this longevity? All of the above. Well, it wouldn't have had yeah. the longevity if it hadn't got it right in the first place. Yeah. Um, I, I think three words it just worked mm. if you look at the ones that came before um the sort of the usual suspects that people wheel out uh Renault 5 Gordini um there was a Simca and Auto Bianchi these were kind of like real niche products uh the Gordini not so much but it was uh a it wasn't that long before the Golf and b it was still you know quite a small car and you know of, of as I say of a reasonably sort of marginal interest golf came along it was so mainstream it was you know i mean the golf itself was an absolute um revolution a small car revolution it was the best designed small car probably since the mini and it wasn't even that small a car but you know but of, of its kind and um you know so that was one thing so it was already starting at a very high point um and it just with that, it was the fuel-injected engine, uh, which was so robust. Um, you know, so it wasn't like um, you know the Italian and the French hatchbacks, which were a bit tinny, a bit flimsy, and you know not that viable as a sort of do absolutely everything kind of car. A Golf GTI was absolutely the only car you ever needed. Do anything with it. You know, you could go screaming around um, the back roads having a hoot. You could drive it to the south of front. You could do whatever you wanted with it. It just worked and it kept on working. And that fuel-injected engine was... I can remember talking on a previous podcast about you know, when I had one going out into the street and everybody desperately trying to get their cars to start because it was sub... God knows what and the snow was six inches deep and just leaning in from the outside and just hearing that brilliant... Um, single overhead cam in my case 1.8 litre engine just fire up you know i literally just turned the key and it and it started um and you know and that's what it was all about it was a car that just worked it had enough room in it it was brilliantly built it was comfortable it was fun and it just ticked all the boxes it wasn't there wasn't anything particularly revolutionary about it apart from perhaps having fuel injection on a car of that kind at that time but other than that it was just like so many of these things are it was it had just looked at what other people had done and took all the good ideas and just did it better than anybody else. There was nothing, as I say, you know, there was nothing sort of, oh my goodness, this is just like a complete start again moment. It was just brilliant. Yeah, and actually if you compare it to <clears throat> other hot hatch competition that was around at the time or that arrived soon after, the basic formula is kind of the same as it is today, isn't it? It was um, a classless car. It was desirable, aspirational, um, perhaps not the most live wire kind of hot hatch, but really good to drive. But it's that duality, isn't it? That usability. Exactly. Um, as you say, yeah, imagine trying to use one of the French alternatives all through winter or over a very, very long journey or you yeah. know, every day, whatever it is, you'd far rather be in the golf, wouldn't you? And that it, rings it, it, true it, even now. It had something in this regard of the 911s about it. You know, we always go on about 911, how amazing they are to drive with it. But actually, the reason the 911 has been around since 1963 is exactly that. It's the same thing. It just works. It's just a car. There's just nothing you can't do in that car. Um, and, 
it's like you know you can have the most exciting car in the world but if it's actually not that usable if it's going to break down on you or you don't want to take it out in dodgy weather or anything else then it's not a car for all reasons is it it's not it's a recreation um it's not a it's not a tool it's not a device for doing a job and if you can have a device for doing that job which is what you need and then add to that that element of fun which is what you want you've got a golf gti or you have a porsche 911 and you create a nameplate that just lasts and lasts and lasts um and and you know whatever we are 46 years on it's still there Every so often, <clears throat> VW um, in the UK, when they do a, some kind of launch event, they'll wheel out their Mark One. They've got one, haven't they? Yeah, they um, have. And I think it was last year, last summer, um, I went to drive a few new Golfs and the Mark One was there. And so I had a good blast in it. <clears throat> and I, particularly cars, for cars of this era, you know, it's what, almost 50 years ago now. It's very difficult for me to put myself in the headspace yeah. Of someone coming along looking to buy a hot hatch in 1976. Was it a bit disappointing? I, d- I just I don't know if that's even the right word because um, I, I always enjoy driving these older cars um, yeah. because they're so different to the modern stuff and you have to yeah. work hard in them and keep the engines singing. Um, but I think it probably was difficult to discover the true magic in it, and that might yeah. be the modern far too sticky tyres that it sits on now probably yeah um but 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 it's also you know you have to remember that okay it wasn't the first but it was a pioneer and when people saw what volkswagen had done with that they didn't hang about in coming up with their answers to it so you know if for instance you're familiar with the way a 205 gti drives then you might well find a mark one golf gti a bit stodgy but what you have to remember is the Mark 1 Golf GTI came out in 1976. 205 GTI didn't come out until 1984. So you're actually dealing with a different era of car. And all the people, and you know, and you think of things like the Fiat Strada 130TC, you think of uh, the Renault 5 GT Turbo, all this stuff that came on after, um, you know, did it all with the benefit of that hindsight. Golf didn't have that. So... Yeah, I, th- I you know, you know, I can remember when I drove that car. I think Volkswagen has spent a bit of money on that car recently and sort of built because it was getting a bit tired because it has been used a lot. Um, and I did a job at Bruntingthorpe a few years ago. We had a Mark One, Two, Three, Four, Five, whatever, Six and Seven. I think we had the lot there. And I can remember driving it and thinking, "Really? Did we really <laughs> go and get that excited about <clears throat> this back yeah. then?" Um, but I think it was, I think it was a little bit tired. Um, and, you know, and it is of its era. And you have to remember that really there wasn't anything else around. And when the, the Alpha Sud was probably the closest thing it had to a rival. Now, technically, it wasn't a hatchback at the time. So, you know, people don't include it in hot hatchback conversations. Um, and the Alpha was an amazing car. It was better to drive than the Golf. But, you know, it oxidized really pretty quickly in front of your eyes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, it wasn't as practical because it didn't have that hatchback. And, you know, the Golf was less fun. But was actually, was a better car. So, yeah. As we get into the Mark II, then there were some fascinating things going on with the Mark II Golf. Um, yeah. Some of the variants that came along. But the, let's talk about the, the GTI, just the standard GTI. The magic was carried over, wasn't it? And that the same sort of basic 
recipe? Well, it was and it wasn't. Um, so it was an even better built car. It mm. was an even better engineered car. But certainly the standard eight-valve engine basically didn't change. I think it had like two more horsepower. It also lost its oil cooler, um, which meant they, the oil ran a lot hotter, which wasn't necessarily a great thing in those. Um, they were unbelievably robust. They went on forever, you know, a quarter of a million miles without breaking a sweat. Um, but they, it was more of that sort of practicality, that usefulness and don't forget by then, you know, Golf GTI was already a very, very powerful name in the marketplace. And so people um, were drawn to it. And, it. and it worked really, really well. But don't forget, of course, by the time that one came along, then, well, OK, so it came out in, I'm just trying to think, 83, 84, something like that. Um, and so, you know, then that, would, then that did start to have rivals like 205 GTIs and the opposition was a lot stronger for that car. Um, but again, people were more drawn to the fact that it just worked really well than they were drawn to how fun it was to drive because compared to particularly the French stuff that came along um, during its lifetime, it wasn't that much fun to drive. It was a good, solid performance hatchback. But it wasn't a riot. Um, and then so, you know, one, one of the things that obviously Volkswagen did to try to address this was give it a bit more power. Um, and the 16 valve came along with 139 horsepower up from, I think, 112. And, I, yeah, good car. <laughs> it, ne- it, went, it, it, it never, to me, it never deserved the credit it got. Uh, it was it was praised to the heights at the time it was regarded as like a new dawn for the gold but actually i I always prefer i always thought the eight valve engine was smoother Um, it seemed to me to have more mid-range torque Uh, the the 16 valve was undoubtedly stronger at the top end and it read further i think it like went to seven and a bit or something Um, but to me it just wasn't as nice an engine and given that if you're going to buy a car like a Golf GTI, you're not doing it because it's the most fun thing out there. Because if, it, if you were doing that, you just go and buy a 205. Mm. To me, the fact that the, the eight valve was easier to drive and it was smoother and it was quieter just made it a nicer car. But you know, there are no right or wrong answers with this. So there are two very special variants that came along based on the Mark II. <clears throat> You've spoken about the Limited before. Yes. Um, <laughs> but it bears repeating because... I mean, if you, if you haven't heard of the Limited before now, you won't believe that such a car existed. It was um, nuts. Way back then. It, it sounds it like was, a modern, you know, 15-year-old hot hatch based on the, the, on the stats. Except, um, except, except they never do it like that because they cover it in wings and make it look like, right, yeah, you yeah. know. Um, whereas the genius of the Golf Limited was it had this insane powertrain. Which was both supercharged. It had the 16 valve engine and it was supercharged. Um, and it had four wheel drive. And they decided to put it in the body of the five door golf. Um, and they put, you know, it only had the single headlights. There was nothing about it. It looked less aggressive than a standard golf GTR. It looked like something you go shopping in. Um, and that was what was so utterly brilliant about the golf limited is, is, is it, it looked, not more, but less. It looked even more understated. And, mm. you know, 215 horsepower in whatever <sighs> it was, the late 1980s. Um, Amazing. It, yeah, absolutely. And it's the only car that ever got that engine because they'd done supercharged goals with the G60 um, and they'd obviously done 16 valves, but they'd never done a supercharged 16 valve. And I believe they only did it for the Limited. Yeah, so 
0-62 in 6.4 seconds. I mean, how fast was, I don't know, a 9-11 getting to 62 miles an hour at the time? Well, 9-11s have got lots of traction, so probably, well, okay. you know, a bit, bit, bit quicker than that. But, I mean, compared to... It's well, not much we, quicker, though, is it? No, so what are we talking about? We're, we're talking about the very late 80s here, aren't we? So I'm trying to think what Ferrari would have had. It's something like a Mondial. Mm. Okay, Golf Limited versus a Ferrari Mondial. In a straight line, I'd back the Golf every day of the week. Every day of the week. Probably it, gets a 308 as well. So, uh, from what I've read here, um, it was designed and hand-built by Volkswagen Motorsport. It was. Um, but in very, very small numbers. Yeah, tiny only, numbers. Only 71, apparently. Yeah. So, my God, I wonder if how many are out there now. What, what are they worth? I should have looked that up, shouldn't I? But that is, a, that, that is an amazing car for the yeah. era. It's incredible. But yeah. what about the rally? Yeah. Um, great, 1989. To, yeah. Proper mean, homologation to, special. Yeah. Box arches, like yeah. an Audi Quattro or a new 30 M3. <laughs> I mean, yeah. four-wheel I, drive. I, I'm slightly, slightly hesitant because I never drove one. Yeah. Um, Supercharged engine. Yeah. Much less power, 160 horsepower. Well, because so. it had the standard G60 supercharged engine in it. Um, yeah. To me, it's not half the car that the Limited is because the Limited was so subversive. Mm. You know, the, the rally kind of looked the part. Yeah. Um, whereas the Limited didn't. And that's what I love about the Limited. The Limited had, it looked like it had half the power, actually had whatever it was, much, much more. Um, so, yeah, cool, yeah. but not a Limited. <laughs> so, actually, VW has proper heritage in building pretty wild variants yeah. of the golf you yeah. know and it's done it recently with things like the mark 7 club sport s that was a fairly out there car um but just i mean just think, sorry i'm not going to go on about the limited forever but just think you know you're in the you know the end of the 1980s and you have a hatchback with a supercharged 16 valve engine <laughs> and a four-wheel drive i mean it was just it was just like well i suppose it wasn't entirely on that because we still had we had integrales by then um, oh, that's true. Similar power. So yeah. it wasn't completely out of court, but for a golf, mm. you know, and Integrales had box arches and they kind of looked like Integrales, and you know, there was no, you saw one of those, you, you didn't have to, you didn't doubt what you're looking at. Yeah. Um, but you just walked past the Limited. If it was Limited, it had this little blue mm. outline strip around the grill. Um, and I think it had wheels as well. Um, but other than that, you, couldn't, you wouldn't be able to tell it from a Golf L. Love it. That's mega. Sorry. Move on, mega. move on. So the way history remembers these things, <clears throat> the Mark I and the Mark II were fantastic, and then the Mark III and the Mark IV were duds, GTIs, I yeah. mean. Is that true? Yeah. I mean, you've said that you, for you, the, the two doesn't quite stack up to that legend. But No, the two was good. The two was good. Um, and the, the Mark II Golf GTI was a great car. It was a really, mm. really okay. good car. It just wasn't a great... It was a good... It was a really good driver's car, actually. And this is... And, you know, so there's the distinction you need to make between you know, really good driver's cars, which the Mark 1 and Mark 2 Golf GTIs were, and Golf GTIs, which were GTIs in name alone, which certainly the 3 was, uh, and the 4, really, um, because, you know, Volkswagen just kind of gave up with them. Um, mm. They just didn't bother, and they were, you know, they, they were nothing to drive. Um, of course, you know. I presume we're going to stop. We're going to talk about a VR6 at some stage in the course of the oh, yes. of the Golf Three. Um, so they did have other plans. So maybe their idea was, oh well, we can't do anything too sporting because that'll pull the rug out from under the VR6. Um, but it was just desperately. I mean, when it went on sale, it had a two-liter engine, 
I think it had 115 horsepower. Um, so it, its performance was, because I think it was a bigger, heavier car, was not as good as a Mark II Golf GTI. Mm. Um, they did almost nothing to the suspension, if they did anything to it at all. So it was basically, it was just a Golf. It was a two-litre Golf with a fairly underpowered engine with a GTI badge on the back of it. Pfft, so what? Do you think they thought by then Golf GTI was a strong enough nameplate that people would just want one? I think, and this is my memory, and, and, and forgive me if my memory is playing tricks, I think that was, it coincided with the era when hot hatches as a, an entire genre were under threat because people had become quite keen on nicking them. Yeah. Uh, and they became <laughs> very, very hard to insure. Um, and so, you know, I, I guess... I guess Volkswagen probably thought, I know, we'll make a Golf GTI that no one will want to nick. <laughs> well, it solves that problem, doesn't it? Solves that problem. Um, that, is my, that is my recollection, which may be at fault, but I, th- I think, that's probably, I think that, that had something to do with it as well. Um, and and, you know, and the, with the Golf 4 <coughs> GTI, you know, they did get more power, um, you know, quite a lot more power. But you, know, you and I know that fast and fun are not the same thing. Um, and... The Series 4 GTIs were just, they were a lot quicker, but there was, there was, that connection wasn't there. That feel wasn't there. They mm. just, you know, they did the job kind of because they had to. There was never any sense of, you know, it wanting to join in the fun or really respond or, you know, or feel balanced or adjustable or, or anything like that. They were just, they were just, you know, slightly quicker golfs. So one of the very first jobs I did in this industry 15 years ago you know, wet behind the ears, 21 years old, was yeah. comparing a, and these were old cars at the time, um, a Mark III Golf VR6 to a Subaru Impreza. Um, oh, okay. And <clears throat> it was a horrible soaking wet day and we were on a really rubbish road. Um, and I had to go in this Golf. But actually the only thing I can remember about driving it was changing gear from third to fourth. And the, sh- the throw was so long it felt like I was passing the lever to a backseat passenger. <laughs> that was, you know, that's basically the only thing I remember about this car. What? Yeah. Do you do you remember them fondly? I do actually. Yeah, I do remember. I mean, the problem with the VR6 Golfs were, you know, another problem that I had with the Series Three Golf is they just took a lot of quality out of it. Uh, I yeah. remember we had um, and Car Magazine with both had. <clears throat> I mean, we on also car both had long termers, um, and they just went wrong a lot. Um, and they weren't very well built and, um, you know, lots and lots of problems. But, yeah, they were suddenly, it, a Golf was worth driving. Again. You know, it had a 2.8 litre six-cylinder engine in it. Yeah. You know, to go from a two-litre four to that, I mean, that is a big step up. Uh, it had, oh, I'm just trying to remember how much power it had. Um, I read it down somewhere. Oh, I can't remember now. Um, but, you know, a lot of power. Plenty. And, yeah. Sorry? Plenty. Plenty, 190 old horse, I can't remember. But, you know, it was, I can remember doing a twin test with a 325i BMW and giving it to the Golf. And the 3 Series, you know, wow. then as now. Um, because I think it was, it was more usable, it was more practical because it had the hatchback. Um, it was quicker than the BMW. Um, and I, I think it certainly handled as well because they tried, you know, they tried really, really hard to, yeah, you know, we were all worried at the time that the, you know this big lumpy two point eight liter engine, you yeah. know, 
in the nose of a car which has also got a transmission and driven wheels and everything else it would just make it you know understand it really didn't they tried really very hard um to get the thing to turn in and they did um and you know it was a good car it was just not particularly well put together um lovely noise very you know at the time very innovative engine you know that 15 degree Mm. v angle um it's actually it's still essentially the same technology that bentley put into their w12 engines to this day it's you know that's the technology very narrow v angle so you know you look at it and everything because it sits under one cam cover you don't think this is a v formation engine at all um but it is but it's very compact very stiff very robust and um and it sounded cool too so yeah um that was good so we get onto the Mark IV then, um, yeah. <clears throat> and uh, so just last week um, I drove uh, a Mark IV R32. So this is oh. the first of the VWRs, um, and that car arrived twenty years ago. So I will be writing a piece soon about twenty years of VWR. There is a new uh, limited edition variant as well of the current Golf R. Uh, it's called the Twenty to celebrate that anniversary. Yeah. Um, so I drove <clears throat> the first car to wear the VWR badge and the most recent. Mm. Um, and actually, do you know, I did not know this, but the Mark IV R32 in Germany was available with the DSG the gearbox. DSG gearbox. It was the first production car in the world to have it. I couldn't believe. I just. Yeah. I, I did. I thought that. I thought that box arrived with the Mark V, and maybe it's because it did in the UK. But in I thought. Germany, I thought it arrived in an Audi. I thought it was in a TT before it was in anything else. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So it was the Mark IV R32. Yeah. Um, and this car I drove was a left-hand drive car from Germany, and it had the DSG gearbox. Um, and so it was... What's it like <laughs> compared to a modern DSG? Really good. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, I, it was a fairly brief drive, but as it should be, it was snappy. Really good, quick upshifts. Um, it, was, it was fantastic. Um, I, was, I was really pleasantly surprised. Um, and that car has the... The six-cylinder, naturally aspirated six-cylinder. Again, it's another narrow-angle one, isn't it? Um, yes, it's, a, it's the same family of engines. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and <clears throat> 240 horsepower, so a really good amount to go. Uh, yeah. Four-wheel drive. It was, it, was a, it was a really enjoyable car to drive. The steering is super light and quite quick just off-centre. Yeah. Um, and so it's a little bit unnatural to begin with, but <clears throat> you sort of dial into it. Um, did it feel, did, did it feel quite fast? It, it not massively fast in the way that turbo cars do, but you realize that if you keep your foot down and you threw a couple of gears, you're clipping along really fast. So yeah, it is a quick car. Um this one was on winter tires and I didn't realize until I started driving it, but the moment you chuck it into a corner and you feel the front end just wash and then you stand on the brakes and the ABS triggers immediately. Um, I, then I had to jump out and check and it was on winter tyres which was sort of limiting it somewhat but what I enjoyed about it was that particularly over a, a sort of tricky undulating British B road you have to manage it um, whereas the the modern Golf R um, the 20 it's so competent and so capable so well controlled so grippy you just fling it at the road as quickly as you dare and it yeah. will hold on. It and it just does on. it. It just yeah. does it. Yeah. But the, the R32's limits are so much lower that you have to manage it and really think about it and you work harder. And that's, it's, it's so much more engaging 
and you know rewarding as a driving experience you're just going nowhere near as fast honestly the golf <laughs> the golf golf performance between them is massive but i actually had more fun in the old one it's interesting because i can remember driving obviously when it was when it was new and not being that blown away i can i can well imagine i can well imagine but there's something about that sort of more traditional driving experience that i really got a kick out of yeah but i mean i can just remember thinking it's okay it's quicker than a than a vr6 but it didn't seem to me to be given that this was meant to be the fun one it just it, it struck me as being a more of a sort of touring type car a car yeah, for sort of doing that. long distance in um whereas the vr6 was a, was a proper you know proper hot hatchback really mm. um and yeah I didn't, I didn't think it, i didn't think it was bad but i just didn't think it was a particularly worthy successor to um to the vr6 mm. fair enough <clears throat> and of course how we view these things change changes with time doesn't it 20 years is quite a long time um, perspectives are different. But I, I just want to spool forward and talk about the Golf R20, <clears throat> yeah. which is in production just for a year. Yeah. Um, so it's not limited in terms of number, but just in terms of time in production. <clears throat> the VW think there'll be around 500 in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got 333 horsepower. Right. Um, it has the performance, I think they call it the performance pack, which has the the trick diff in the rear axle and a couple of other bits and pieces. Um, it's flipping expensive. It's with a couple of boxes ticked on the option sheet. You're looking at 50 grand. Wow. Wow. I, I just, how often do we sit here and go, we can't believe how expensive new cars are. It's just, it's another one of those, but 50 grand. I just, for me, 50 grand is buying a more special car than a, tricked up golf R, but maybe it's just not anymore but well um, as you said i mean I, I think you know in the past you know 50 grand uh, wait till i finish what i'm going to say um you know it wasn't <laughs> a lot of money because it was very cheap to finance yeah and that was the thing you didn't think this is a 50 grand car you did think this is you know 400 quid a month um mm. and you know but that game's over isn't it yeah it is it is um and and you're probably looking at I haven't looked at any finance numbers, but I bet you're looking at over 500, maybe 600 quid a month on a, a PCP, depending on how much you put down. And that is, I think that's getting to a point where lots of people will just go, not worth it for me. Yeah. Well, we'll see, won't we? Um, but, we you know, that, that, that's the thing. You know, this is why prices have just sort of crept up because in people's head, because money has just been so cheap for so long, we've just got it into our heads, haven't we, that, yeah. you know, that this, that this stuff is affordable. Um, mm. And I suspect it's, it's not anymore um, and, and probably won't be again for a very long time. Because, you know, the other thing that we have to remember is that, you know, with interest rates being where they are, interest rates historically are much more normal now than they've been for the last 10 years. Yeah, this is you normal, we've all, I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? This is, you know, we have returned. People say, oh, your interest rates are going out fastest rise for, you know, however long. Absolutely. But they have risen to a level that historically they've always been. And the fact that we've had interest rates, you know, basically bumping along the bottom for a decade and got completely used to that, you know, in our heads, we thought, well, that's the way that it is. Um, and it's not. So anybody who think who is thinking, well, this is just a blip and interest rates are going to go back down to near zero. I mean, don't hold your breath. No. Which means that these cars are going to be expensive to finance for the foreseeable. 
Mm. Um, and then suddenly the idea of, you know, a 50 grand golf becomes, you know, not so funny after all. That's it. That's it. And it's, as I said just now, it, it, this new Golf R20, it's staggeringly quick and capable. Actually, it doesn't feel that urgent in a straight line. Not not night and day compared to other golfs. <clears throat> um, but the way it gets along a road, the, the sheer speed it will carry along a road is staggering. But it's a weirdly remote, uninvolving car. Um, and the, <clears throat> most Mark 8s, or probably all Mark 8s as we know, they, there's a gloopiness, a sort of a stodgy feeling in the steering that I just don't get on with. And it's so far short of the 7 and the 7.5 in terms of feedback communication. <clears throat> um, and so it's you sit there romping along massively quickly in this new Golf R20. Not enjoying cu- yourself. Curiously not really enjoying yourself a great deal. Um, which is a, it's a pity. Do you know what? I, I first drove a Mark 8 Golf R a good year and a half ago, and I actually liked it. It had this lovely, cushioned, supple ride, and it had that gloopy steering, that vague steering. But certainly the car I drove, it, had, it was curious because you could really feel the road through the seat. And so you, you'd put it into a corner, and you'd instantly feel the grip. So maybe not through the steering, but through the rest of the car you could, and so that was reassuring. In this one, that was gone, totally gone. So I, I think there must have been a model year update or changes to dampers or tyres or something. Something's gone. But it made such a huge difference to <clears throat> how much fun I had driving you don't, you, the car. You don't think that your backside's become desensitised over time? <clears throat> you never know what it is, do you? It might be driving in different conditions on different roads, whatever. But it was, it was a night and day experience. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I can remember the first time I drove a Mark 8... Um, are we talking about the eight now? We're going to come back to it, but I mean, I was just, I was just going to talk about the, G, the, the standard no, GTI. Yeah, let's let's carry on, and we can come back to the five afterwards. Yeah, so I can remember just driving. You know, having been well, you'll know this better than anybody else. Having been so knocked out by the seven and the seven point five GTI, getting in the eight, and I then I did a twin test with it and a Focus ST um, and a Civic triple test, even. Um, and it was like Volkswagen had just sort of completely given up on this idea that the GTI is going to be different because the GTI is going to be the car that you actually just want to live with. It may not be the greatest thing to drive, and it's been that way since the GTIs existed. It's never been the best driving hot hatch, but it's always been more than good enough in that regard and in all other regards, frankly, more important regards of what is it like to live with, what's it like to sit in heavy traffic or what's it like to go and do a massive distances. That's been the one that you wanted. And I drove this Golf GTI and it was just like, Volkswagen said, oh no, I want to be more like the others. And we're going to give up this territory which we have inhabited for so long and we're going to try and be, you know, sporting. But that's not what that car is. And when it tries to do you know, what a Civic um, Type R or what a Focus ST can do, uh, what happens is you lose some of the things that golfs were so good at. I mean, particularly that sort of, you know, that wonderfully sort of languid ride quality. Um, And what you gain is this slightly sort of, you know, choppy, unsatisfying, you know, mishmash, which just isn't as good as, you know, as those other cars I mentioned, Um, you know, which have been that way for such a long time. And it's calling kind of caught betwixt and between. And you think, well, 
it's lost its point. It's lost its Golf GTI-ness. It's lost what made that car so great in the first place. Um, because, and it's given it up to be a bit more like the others. And I just thought it was such a shame. It's such a shame when you had a brand which had such persuasive values to just go and think, oh, well, actually, you know, we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to go and be a bit more like everybody else. Why? Yeah, the the Mark 8 is just a step backwards. Um, but this, this R, so I do worry that car manufacturers, and I don't know what, who it's led by, but I do worry that they are so busy optimising their cars for being driven at 10 tenths by some super hand hotshot factory driver on track that they become super capable when they're doing that but the rest of the time you're so far short of their limits on a normal b road and when it's any one of us at the wheel so far short of their limits that you're not getting anything from them i really really worry that manufacturers are just optimizing cars for this outlier use case but that none of us will what, ever but, experience but, but that's what customers i fear it's what customers want because i don't think that most people drive those cars like that but they just love to know that they can um, yeah. and you know that's what it's about isn't it i i also think that um you know the twin hits of needing to you know completely transform the business for electrification and the fallout from diesel gate um and yeah, I'd say this about any Golf 8. You know, these cars just do not feel as well engineered as the cars that came before. Um, and, and, you know, and to an extent, that says as much about the Golf 7 as it does about the 8, because the Golf 7 is one of the most... The Golf 7 is like a sort of W124 Mercedes, isn't it? It's the most gloriously, pointlessly over-engineered car you'll, you know, you, that you can come across. Um, and it probably wasn't sustainably so. But um, if, like you and me, you own a Golf 7, you know just cherish it and enjoy it and keep it and because you know cars aren't going to be built like that anymore well i'm glad you mentioned it because i i'm not going to bang on about it now because i'm going to write a story for the intercooler app and website um but i went to uh it was this vw event was based out of Crickal, um and we know the roads around there really well um <clears throat> to drive the original r32 and the new golf r20 and of course i went by my car mark 7.5 gti performance manual um, and <laughs> I, I drove it on the same roads that I drove the Golf R20 and mine was so much more enjoyable to drive I can't even begin to stress it and the car I've got was better than half the price of this new Golf R20 mine's um, a VW approved used car so it's got a two year warranty on it it's got free servicing for that term um, and it is miles ahead. Miles and it won't ahead. depreciate. And it won't depreciate. It's not okay. It's not quite as fast, but actually, there's not a great deal in it. But it's way more. Who enjoyable. cares? Who it's cares? more. It's much more comfortable. I'm not going to say any more because I want to write the story and go into a bit more depth about it. But <clears throat> it was, it was a very interesting exercise. Um. So we've skipped way ahead, haven't we? We've missed the Mark V, which I don't want to do. Because oh, it's not that... a very important golf. Let's, let's skip it. Who need, you know. <laughs> I adore the Mark V GTI. It's the I one, think isn't it's, it? I think it's fantastic. I, was, I, I considered many when I bought my car. Um, in the end, I just wanted something newer because it is my daily. But the Mark V GTI was a proper return to form, wasn't it? Do you remember 
driving one for the first time. Oh, absolutely. Thinking, oh, do I remember? Go. Yeah, I remember seeing that tartan trim, the little golf ball gear lever. Yeah. Um, good looking car too and getting in it and going and it's just one of those cars you know almost before you're at the end of the street you just know oh it's back forget the last two generations the golf gti is back um and it wasn't just because it had a 197 horsepower and a two liter turbocharged engine and was therefore quite quick it had that that sort of lust for the road back um it was you know it, it felt like a partner again it was just like a you and it just off in search of Fun. And yet it still did all those other things that Golf GTIs had always done so well. I, I, do you know what? I would say in many ways it's the best Golf, Golf GTI there has ever been, with the possible exception of your 7.5. Um, I think it's better than a 1 or a 2. Um, mm. I think it yeah. was an absolutely outstanding car. Um, and, yeah, I mean, they were so... They handled so well. They went so well. They they just did everything right. You know, Volkswagen just completely understood what yeah. a Golf GTI should be and reinvented it for the 21st century. And it was masterpiece. I also remember it being comfortable and refined, and it looked it looked good in a way that you know an Asbo bright orange Ford Focus ST didn't. Um, it, they were fantastic cars. Great seating position. Good cabin, yeah. They were, they were super, super good engine Mark too. Fives. I mean, yeah, turbo yeah. engine, but actually, it had a good torque range, it had decent throttle response, and even sounded okay. It was just, mm. you know, um, it was just like, you know, a, a, a Golf GTI for which you know, almost without shortcomings, which is what a Golf GTI should be, isn't it? It shouldn't mm. have to be the best at any one thing in particular. It shouldn't have to be the fastest or the grippiest, but it just has to be the car which, across the board answers every question you can fire at it and it did and it did absolutely um so the we haven't mentioned any sixes yet mark six um we don't need to dwell but the it was kind of an evolution of the five but somehow the gti just didn't quite hit the same high notes for me um maybe it's because our expectations were way up um but still I think that's car. exactly i think that's exactly it it was mm. a it was a, I, actually i think it was it wasn't anything like as good when it was new as the five was when it was new. Um, But it was a, it was a good evolution. I mean, the golf six was, I mean, the golf six was an evolved five. They're very much based on the same underpinnings, Um, but it was a good and worthwhile evolution. And I thought I I really liked the GTI, Um, but Mm. there wasn't that wow factor because, you know, the step from a four to a five was like intergalactic. And the step from a five to a six was just like, you know, a little pace it was it was it was nothing by comparison but you know and i suspect the six is therefore underrated as a as a, as a result because people like you and i bang on about the five but we bang on about the five principally because it was so good relative to what it replaced mm. whereas the six wasn't the six mm. was a little bit better and so yeah. yeah but actually um a series six golf gti is a really really good car uh, okay, and special mention then for a couple of Mark 7s. The the R, yeah. I ran one for a year as a long-termer. Um, if you drove one back-to-back, and I did this with, say, a Renault Sport Megane, you just think, well, what's the fuss? The, the Megane is way more thrilling to drive, and it was. Yeah. But the Golf was... Well, A, it's got that golfness about it, so it's way more comfortable, way more usable, way classier. But also a really sophisticated chassis, that lovely Mark 7 crisp steering and that supple fluidity in the ride. 
Yeah. Um, so it was a bloody good thing. And also with that, with that R, just that incredible all-season ability. I can, yeah. I can remember going through, going for a long, I, can't, I think I had to drive up through Wales to Anglesey or something like that, one of those long, long sort of four-hour drives. Um, yeah, all on, you know, give or take word, in really grim weather, you know, sort of sleeting over there. And it just, just the feeling so secure in there and just thinking you know point to point it was so rapid because it just inspired so much confidence um and just feeling really really happy and at home in it yeah fantastic things so the only other one that i wanted to mention was the club sport s um which was the two seat thing <laughs> the silly golf the silly golf yeah that is vw just going totally mad so it had about 300 horsepower um front wheel drive still because it was a gti but mega traction because uh, of that clever um, diff that they put in them, the electronically controlled mechanical locking diff. Um, yeah, and, also and you cup, could... t- cup two tyres and no rear seats. <laughs> no rear seats. Lovely plush damping. Um, so great body control, but just amazing ride. It would just breathe over a road. You see, um, I, well, I went to the launch, which was at the Nordschleife, and I think we can hear your dog in the background. Hello, you can Anthony. hear my dog in the background. Yeah, he's going to calm down in a minute. Um, and they they wouldn't let us drive it on the road. We only drove yeah. it on the track. Yeah, I did that event as well. Yeah, yeah. So I remember um, I wrote a story about this as well. We we were doing ducks and drakes, and uh, as it's always the way on these events, you you're so keen to make sure you're in the ducks and drakes group with the quick drivers and so you elbow your way to the front of the queue and i was with steve sutcliffe and someone else and you're driving behind the pro um who set that stonking lap time in the car and you're just following him um and it was extraordinary to go around that place as quickly as we did in a golf um the, he reckoned, the pro was the bloke who did the whatever it was the 740 something yeah lap benny, time, wasn't it yeah, yeah. benny like no or something yeah good lad um he reckoned we were 30 seconds off his lap time <laughs> at all <laughs> which is uh, we were clipping along it felt like but yeah to think that he would go 30 seconds faster was something else um yeah so okay there you go that's that's the hot golf i mean there have been some bloody good ones over the years haven't there a yeah few, that's a disappointing one there's so many ones. of them isn't there but yeah. I mean, what, what, what i do like about it is that you know there have been so many different sorts haven't they because we think hot golf we think gti but then you think about you know vr6s and r's and r32s and mm. limiteds and this that and the other and they've just, you know there are just so many different ways that volkswagen have tried to sort of reinvent that formula um so hopefully it's just an interesting subject whether you're a okay. mad golf devotee, devotee or not well. Last thing then on hot golfs. <clears throat> yeah. Heritage in motorsport. Not a great deal. No. Bits and pieces here and there, but it's not like uh, a Ford Focus or something. Or no. the smaller ones. You know, even the Polo monstered the WRC yeah, for several absolutely. years. Yeah. No. But the Golf just doesn't really have any of that, does it? No, I mean, they, I, mean, they, I, I don't think they were Volkswagen cars, but, you know, they did used to sort of go and do the N24 and the Junior categories yeah. and that sort of thing um but no no great mm. um i just don't th- i don't think there were golf touring cars were there no um, no you could get anyway. one of those tcr things but i don't think anyone really cares frankly mm. um no. so motorsport just isn't a big part of the golf story is it not at all um good okay well we've got a listener question coming up in a moment 
<clears throat> before that, I just want to remind you that you can now give a gift subscription to the Intercool. You can now give a subscription to the Intercool as a gift. Let me get that right. Um, head to the intercoolercom and you'll find the page on there. You can give three, six or 12 months. Um, it's a perfect gift in time for Christmas. So the, the listener question comes from Francois, who wants to know your recommendations for coffee table automotive books. Depends how big your coffee table is. Gosh, I mean, I could just... Um, oh, coffee table book. Okay, there's, there's a certain sort of coffee table book, and I shouldn't say this because I've written a couple of them. Um, yeah, I know what you're going to say, though. Yeah, which are so big and so expensive, they just become sort of objets, things to have lying around your house. They exist for other people to see and not for you to read. Um, and I, you know, I have done a couple of them and I'm really, really proud of them. Um, but they cost, and I'm not joking, thousands of pounds. And, you know, they're so heavy, you can barely pick them up. And, what are the you ones know, you've done? And, and, um, I did a massive Aston Martin one, and I did a uh, a massive Bentley one as well, um, and they are and they are absolutely huge. Um, yeah, I mean the Aston Martin one. I think they, I think it was two thousand pound book. It's called Aston oh, Martin. Bloody hell! I think it's called Aston Martin the book. It was a while ago I did it, um, and I do have one, but it's not in here. It's funny enough, it's on my coffee table. Um, <laughs> so, but if you're talking about you know, sort of big, important books, um, but which you could actually read. Um, so there's a new one that's just out. If you're watching this on YouTube, funnily enough, I do have it here, not because I knew the discussion was coming, but because I'm reviewing it at the moment. There's the Jackie X authorised competition history, uh, and that is every single com- competitive event that Jackie X has ever done, from his first trials bike ride to his last um, long-distance off-road rally. Um, and it's a... It's a fascinating read, not because it's particularly personal, because it's it's all done in third person by somebody else. So it's not his individual accounts, but just for the amazing depth and breadth of that man's career, which involved, you know, Formula One and obviously sports cars, but also, you know, hill hill climbing and touring cars and uh, and, and, and his entire prehistory on motorcycles, which I knew, which I knew nothing about. Um, if there is one book, well, one single mark book, which, you know, I would urge everybody to get if you can afford it because it is expensive hang on i'm going to stand up to get this and i'm only going to get one of them down but this is volume one of carl ludwig's extraordinary four volume porsche excellence was expected um you know people talk about mark histories and mark bibles and everything else but there's never been one like this this is i mean if there's anything you wanted to know about a porsche and it wasn't in one of these i'd be amazed um so yeah, I mean, just just a, a brilliant book. And if you want a a more general book, and these are really really expensive, but there's a thing here called Time and Two Seats, um, which is the whole history of sports car racing from I think 1952. Uh, every single race, every single um, results, every single place, every, uh, you know, long descriptions of every single race. And if you're into sports car racing, as I am, um, it's a wonderful thing to have. Um, but it is been out of print for decades now and it is sadly really quite expensive yeah. difficult to find yeah well there you go We've got a few recommendations in there so francois thank you for your question um yeah please get your questions across and we'll end next week's podcast with another yeah bye
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.